0: Hiya, I'm Alex Johnson, and welcome to the Yellow Rugby Podcast, your home of golf rugby. I teamed up with Big Nev, who runs Bench Warmers and Rugby Smacks, to provide a weekly podcast that looks at all of the rugby taking place here in the UAE. I'd first like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor of the show, Rhinomina.com. Rhino is a multi sport brand developing team wear, leisure wear, training, and match day equipment to more than 60 sports here in the Middle East. Also, please like, share, and subscribe to us. You can find us on most of the social media channels out there by typing in Yellow Bugby. So, on this week's show, we've got Dave Lehman, who is the chairman of Rock Bugby Club. Dave Lehman, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. How long have you been living in Rock for? Or oh, in the UAE. Tell me, tell me your, your journey that it brought you here.
1: UAE, uh, twenty one years now. We moved. Here. Yeah, we moved here in twenty two. Sorry, two thousand and two, uh, and lived in Dubai for ten years. So it's eleven years now in Iraq. Yeah, quite a while. And what initially brought you over here? It was economic. Um, my partner, who's also my wife, um, she and I run an agency in Dubai, in uh, London for 10, 15 years. And uh, in the, I think it was the mid nineties, uh, we were going through quite a steep depression and we could see the work falling off. And she, we agreed that she would come out here, hunt for work in the Middle East. It was uh, an emerging market. And um, within a year and a half, she picked up two or three large projects. And uh, I ended up coming out here from 96 through to 2000, twice a month on the aeroplane servicing those. And the, over that period of time, I would say that 90% of our business was coming from the Middle East, from, certainly from UAE. And it just didn't make sense being on an aeroplane. Twice a month with uh, no frequent flyers, being turfed off the airplane whenever the Royals were flying, their highnesses were flying, you get turfed off. Uh, and some quite eventful stories. And uh, in the end, we agreed that the best place to be would be to move into Dubai. So we did that in two full time in 2002, move the whole agency into Dubai. Wow, that's quite a move, isn't it? It was. It was a big step, big step. Big cultural change. Um,
0: Interesting. Uh, Yeah, life was was very interesting over that period. (laughs) How different was life back then to what it is now in the Middle East?
1: Well, when we first arrived, London, we were really into the London buzz. I mean, I had an agency in Great Portland Street, and it was the heart of London. And it was thriving. It was really buzzy, busy and uh, it was crazy times and like any big metropolis we had a big problem with crime we had a big problem with politics we had a big problem with all sorts of things going on and it wasn't a happy place and when we moved to dubai uh we found a completely different culture altogether everything was laid back every door was open so if you want to go see a Sheikh, you want to see his Highness, or so you want to see, see whoever, the door was always always open. You just walk in, introduce yourself, you sit down for half an hour or so, and you would meet the guys. Um, a bit different now, but it wasn't built up. There was no Dubai Marina, no GLT, no downtown, none of all that. Uh, no Festival City. Uh, the heart of it was basically Bur Dubai and uh, Dira. And, uh so we moved into dura and it was like moving back 50 years really it's um very very simple i can best say simple and uh, relaxed laid back
0: uh, nobody was ever in a hurry wow that is very very different to life today isn't it and within the 10 years um
1: we were in dubai it just came out the ground we ended up in a place like London, uh without the crime, of course. And um we felt that the metropolis wasn't for us. We wanted something a bit more relaxed. We got had got used to the uh very relaxed lifestyle. And um, as most people do when they get here, we thought, well, where's the future? And we bought into a property in, Dup- in uh Rasokema and decided that we'll buy a property here, rent it out and so forth. But then while all that was happening, uh, the uh, we got hit with 2008, 2009, the, the big crash. And we didn't think we'd see our property built because we bought our plan. And then in 2012, we told you, yeah, your investment is built. <laughs> so we thought, well, <clears throat> the rents in Dubai, at that point had gone through the roof. And then, well, the obvious thing is to move into the property we bought in Russell Kemp, and that's what we did. So we've
0: been here since. This is our home now, yeah. I bet you, you've seen it yet. I mean, there's been so much change going on. Has RAC changed in those years much? Um, I know not at the speed that Dubai has, obviously, but ha- have you seen a big change in RAC in those years?
1: I would say a simple, question, simple answer, no. Um, although it is changing. There is evolution. Um, there is development. Albeit not the same sort of pace that we saw in Abu Dhabi and we've seen in Dubai. Um, it's much more not controlled. The words not controlled. It, it's an easier pace. We have some amazing developments coming, but they're not in the heart of RAC. They're outside RAC on Marjan Island, um, where most of the big developments happening, the big investments, the tourism stuff. Um, but RAC is a bit like a cross between Dubai, as we knew it, and Oman. it's We've got maybe 10 tower blocks, if we're lucky. Um, we have uh, Julfa Towers, which are the two tallest on the Corniche, on, uh, on the lagoon. Um, beyond that, it's very low rise, and it's relaxed. And on a, a clear day, well, a normal day, we can see the mountains. We're like in a crucible with the mountains wrapped around us. So. When you look up, you see the mountains around you and you've you got the sun, you could be anywhere in the world. Um, it's just a very relaxed place. I would say we're 20 years behind Dubai in, in development-wise. I think the strategy, the economic strategy, the management strategy of the Emirates is a different philosophy, That's it's much more, uh, what's the word, rural an approach in fact there's a lot of emphasis on farming agriculture of course there's a lot of that here um we have a massive industrial base without doubt but it's done in a way that doesn't impact your life as a resident you know yeah we live in a a gated community which could be anywhere um we have a massive quite a large expat community here um and as I say, it's a different culture. It's closer to the Emirati culture than it is probably uh,
0: Dubai culture. Wow, okay. And going back to, you know, back in the day when you first got here and life as it was, what was it like with the expat community? Were you, was that an open door policy as well? Not policy, but, you know, did it, was it as friendly and connected as what they are today?
1: I think I would say it was when we arrived here. It's very much the commu- expat or the Western expat community was much smaller. Uh, I would say much tighter knit, without doubt, because many were ex-military um, or involved in the military or in some sort of industrial sort of uh, capacity. Um, the Definitely, when we arrived, and when we arrived, when we sold our home in London, we arrived here. In, we had money to invest and in get our business up and running money to live off. And then we had a little fund there for, we called the party fund. And certainly we got the first year we got sucked into the party, uh, community and it, it was a cra- crazy time for this first 12 months. And then we realized that the party environment, the party culture wasn't for us. Although we do, we do like a party, Um, but going out every week, twice a week to the club, to a club or uh, have a crazy time. At the same time, I've got to counter that the fact we were quite busy with work. So we couldn't get too sucked into it because a lot of people we knew were employees of businesses. They didn't actually own their own businesses. So as an owner of a business, you, you have a duty of care to make sure your business actually succeeded. So we had to make sure that uh, we had all the resources and our, uh, the, the, our brains functioning as often as we could to make sure that we made a success out of our business. So um, as I say, within 12 months, we had burned through a fair proportion of our party budget. Luckily, we decided before we got the end of that, that partying wasn't, all about Dubai and over that period actually it was rather interesting because we built up relationships with a lot of close relationships with a lot of Emiratis who are now very close friends so um, rather than build a friendship in the western community the expat community most of our friends were
0: in the uh, Emirati community and Salam. um yeah I mean that's probably what you want as well you want to be mixing with locals when you, when you come out here?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, without doubt, I mean, uh, the contacts we have and the people we've met, not only are they friends, but they've helped us along the way, given us guidance as to what we should do, what we shouldn't do, and uh, given us cultural advice and, uh, guidance, um, affected a lot of introductions. You we know, we've got a lot of referrals. Um, also the ability now that we can work in dual language, is really very useful um so yeah i think uh the emirati community our emirati friends they're friends for life i mean basically and uh, in a way they've had such a big impact on me In the fact that about five years ago six years ago uh i used to be invited out to the farm party, rather than the nightclub party, I would get invited to a fire pit party or a farm party out in the middle of the desert. I'd get a call at one o'clock Dave, Dave, where are you? Come to the farm, come to the farm. And what for? It's two o'clock in bed. It's two o'clock in the morning, come to the farm. So you drive an hour to get somewhere on the road to Hatter to find this bloody farm in the middle of nowhere. And a bunch of Emiratis, lying around a campfire looking at the stars and philosophizing and it was amazing it was amazing who I met in those parties but at the same time it there was a form of bonding and they would regale all sorts of stories to me and what uh, it compelled me it must be about 2015 I used to do a lot of photography I was a professional photographer before as a designer and uh I put the camera down thirty years ago. I hadn't picked a camera up for thirty years, and I suddenly realised that I need to pick the camera up. Uh, the concerns they had was the development of the country is happening so rapidly. Much of their culture and di- traditions were li- being left behind. So I took it upon myself to set a couple myself a couple of projects, and uh, they're very much culture and heritage. For, uh, <clears throat> Projects and I've started recording, uh, you know, capturing. I should say not recording, but capturing aspects of that culture in photography. It's interesting, and it's really interesting to get into the heritage, into the history, into the culture. It's just so interesting. Um, yeah, so that's my life, and of course that sucks me into the local community, the local culture, and my and my rugby. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and you just touched on rugby there. How did Rack Rugby form and when When did it come together?
1: There is no formal record of the club. Um, a lot of it is very much uh, passed on by word, hearsay, whatever, but uh, we have an unreliable uh, basis that the club was founded back in around about 68, 1968 by. Enthusiastic uh, oil field workers or oil workers, oil field service workers, and military boys. And they played ad hoc matches uh, around the Emirates, uh, mostly on sand, well, all on sand actually. There were no, no grass pitches in those days. And um, it was very much a nomadic life. One minute it existed, next minute it petered out, a year or two later it was reinstated and they started playing again. And I think this has been the nature of rugby in our part of the world for a long time. The fact that it's a matter of not, people on short contracts, long contracts, whatever contract they're on, having to move on. And inevitably when they move on, it leaves holes and gaps. And especially with rugby, it, we were in a niche sport in this part of the world. It definitely is a niche sport. And, um, so some years it existed, some years it didn't, but it, the name was originally not Rack Rugby, it was Rack Goats mm. and that was inspired, that was inspired by the, uh, the goats that you can see in the mountains here all the time. They climb up the clown they're very tenacious, they sit sitting the cliff tops and overhangs and all sorts of things and um so we played under the goats up to right about 2018. In 2015 I joined the club what's been 2013-14 and we were playing occasionally in Sharjah was our home pitch at the Wandies. and um then a gentleman called Mike Sylvester who was playing at the time took over the chairmanship of the club And he and I got on, and um, he asked me if I'd help him reform the club with the aim of having our own pitch. At the time, he didn't tell me what type of pitch it was going to be. He just said, we're going to have our own pitch. And I said, yeah, I'm up for that. I'll help you. And basically, we got pulled together a bunch of guys and uh, managed to negotiate a lease on a piece of land for free, blanked
0: that. Wow, I mean that just doesn't happen out here. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And it was
1: by the beach. It was prime, prime development land, and uh, near Bin Maja. So, within a matter of seven, eight months, we built a, a pitch on sand. It was a sand pitch.
0: Yeah, you were the last of the
1: uh, the dying breed, weren't you? We were, and everybody. It was very popular. We were very popular. Everybody wanted to come down and play on the sand pitch, but. We had that pitch for around about 18 months. Oh. And for 18 months, we never won a game on that pitch. We never won a game on it. But you had a great time. Well, we we trained, we trained on it twice a week. And always us were getting grief from our wives because every time we got home, take the socks off. There's half a ton of sand across the living room floor. Um, and, but the advantage was that Plain away, our lads were like whippets, because we train on the sand and I'd get on grass off like greyhounds, off they went. And uh, very quickly we started turning from uh, the wooden spoon team all the way through to the the main threat in the league. Uh, we joined the league in 2015-16 two, and uh, we worked our way up from there and then 18 months on we found, uh, we found uh opportunity to play on grass, which was at Alhamra. And we persuaded Alhamra to uh, rent us uh, some of their, their driving range, where they have their driving range. And we could put on uh, a couple of rugby pitches, which they did. And um, it was it still is fantastic. It's a fantastic venue. Uh, it's a great place. Um, and we moved on to grass and we started training on grass, playing on grass. And so today we're on in Alhamra. However, there's a big development reha- happening around our venue. So it looks this coming season, we won't be playing at home anymore because it's going to be ripped up and there's going to be new developments happening, roads and new construction, whatever. It's impacting our pitches and our ability to play. So it looks like we'll probably be playing out of Sharjah if we re-enter the league, as we hope, next season.
0: Yeah, and w- with that, um, we haven't seen much of you this season, but what's the current you know, position or situation with RAC Rugby? Yeah, we had the perfect storm at the end of last season. Uh,
1: not only did we lose our chairman, who moved to Dubai, Eddie, um, we also lost i would say two-thirds of our senior men's squad uh, purely because of uh, con- contracts employment people moving people leaving going back home to blighty um so we ended up with about seven players left from the whole squad <clears throat> from the previous season and we had a very good squad i mean there were some excellent players amongst them Although that said, um, we've been working quietly over the season recruiting, Uh, we've filled uh, the places. Uh, The big problem we have at the minute is getting all the lads to train in one place at the same time. Uh, They all have different jobs in different locations, and it's very difficult for them to get together at the same time. We obviously suffer from numbers. I think we have a big problem with numbers as the majority of the, the clubs, except the really big ones. Um, again, it, we are gaining players, um, albeit we're getting a lot of newbies. We've got a lot of old, old timers who are coming back out of the, into the club from the 2015, 16. So it, it's a year's time, two years time. We'll have a pretty good squad of, uh, of vets. Um, I would say that I'm hoping that we'll have enough numbers to rejoin the league this coming season. That's the object of the club. Um, We've got enough on paper. but Like I said, on paper is one thing. Turning up, commitment to turn up to train on an evening is another.
0: And is it not just um, senior men's? Do do you offer women's rugby or mini junior rugby at all? When I took over,
1: I, one of the things that I wanted to change about the club was the focus that we had over the years, over the years, we focused on, uh, 22 guys in the squad playing football, playing rugby and not really anything else happening. So all the funds and all the focus was on those guys on the pitch, which is fair enough. I mean, at the end of the day, it depends on the, the philosophy of the club. Whether you want to be a competitive club or whether you want to be more of a community club mm. i took the view that over the last 10 years well not 10 years certainly six seven years that we haven't focused enough on the community around us and we need to do more to bring the community in the club and the club into the community so this season the beginning of this season i instigated touch rugby which is becoming very popular now we've been in, every week. We've got more joining touch directly, men and women. And at the minute we do it mixed, but I think very shortly we will split it to make it more interesting for co- both genders. Um, the kids, we've invested time and effort and with the help of Rackports sort who of supported this season. Um, we've put a lot of time and effort into training and coaching kids into our Raptors. And the Raptors scheme now is two levels. We have under tens, sorry, under eights and over eights, and we have probably twenty to thirty under eights, another ten over eights, and every week, again, every week we're getting applications to join the Raptors. Um, So that's growing really well. Uh, I think that's that's working out very well and we offer again this is all about support the community support of our sponsors if we didn't have the support of our financial support of our sponsors we wouldn't be able to subsidize the extent we do the kids rugby at the minute church rugby is free we're not charging for church rugby because we want to get people we want a critical mass and we want people to come along enjoy themselves get used to it and once they become familiar and become the club becomes part of their lives. Then we'll talk about engaging in terms of a subscription. Um, the kids, there is a small subscription to cover the, the pitch rental, but that's highly subsidised and that's done through our relationship with Rackports and our local sponsors. Um, and basically the men's rugby again is very much sponsored um, with, again, with the help of Rackports being the superb sponsor. Um, and the. Our men's rugby, our subs are by far the lowest in UAE, by far. Um, I think this season, we were talking 900 dirham all in for a season's worth of rugby, if we were playing rugby. But this last season, we've not charged anybody any subs whatsoever because there was no rugby. And we felt it was unethical to charge for uh, the subs if the guys are not getting anything in in return. But in, to counterbalance that, what we've also done is we've launched quite a substantial social scene, again, not just for the rugby club, but for members. So as a club, to, we've negotiated fantastic deals for brunches, nights, outs, entertainment and so forth with a number of local venues. And uh, those events are open to the public. They get the same discounts as the club members get. to to attract the community, again, to draw the community, the interest in the club, and have the club associated with all the good things about the Yeah,
0: So, I mean, you're really building it from the ground up again. Absolutely, absolutely, from the ground up, literally. Is the club heading in the right direction?
1: Uh, No, I would always say yes, but (laughs) (laughs) behind closed doors, I would like to think my committee would agree with me. Um, I believe so. I think for us, it is really the only direction, because not only are we supported by substantial uh, local sponsors, but we are uh, basically formed under royal decree. So His Highness Sheikh Saud is our patron. And uh, we, when we formed the club under the decree, he gave us uh, a number of objectives that we had to work towards. And uh, in achieving those objectives, yes, we're on we're on the same, on the roadmap for those to achieve those objectives. In terms of rugby, in terms of competitive rugby, um, I'm delegated anything to do with the sport aspect to my coaching team. I don't get involved in the coaching. I don't get involved in the the, uh, the team selection. I don't get involved in the practices and the processes they put in place. I get involved in facilitating what they need to deliver that to, them, to the players. And the same with the touch and the same with the kids. Um, they come to me and say, we need bo- new balls, or we need cones, or we need tanks, or we need whatever. Um, Then I facilitate that without question. Um, And our sponsors facilitate the funds for me to do that. So my job is very much the link between our sponsors and the sport and the activities of the club. So are we heading in the right direction in rugby? Yes, but it's a slow, long haul. It's not going to happen overnight. We knew that, and I, I, I think the whole club knew that the men's rugby was going to be difficult this season, and it's still not firm for next season until we, we solve some of these training issues. We resolve the number issues. Um, without doubt, we'll have the funds and the support of our sponsors. But as a club, I believe we are heading the right direction. We've got, we've leveraged a lot more interest in the club. A lot more involvement from people who wouldn't normally be here. Uh, we resurrected relationships that had passed from our vets who were no longer coming here because there was no interest for them. Um, so, yes, I would argue that we're definitely heading in the right direction. But as I say, it's a slow, long haul.
0: Yeah, okay. And um you played rugby before you came to the Middle East, didn't you? I did. And what do you think of the of the stuff? Oh, you didn't want to raise that. <laughs> um, I'm not going to go into any sort of standard or anything like that. But well, certainly out here, what do you think of the standard of rugby on the whole in the UAE? Uh, well,
1: I'm an old era. I'm an old boy. Um, I was injured out in my late twenties, so unfortunately, I've been on the back, on the back benches, in the back benches, watching from the sidelines for many many years and. I think the regard for safety is a huge step forward. has taken huge strides forward. Um, I think without doubt, it's safer than it's ever been before. Rugby is always gonna be a dangerous game. And the last thing we wanna do is make it America football where we bring in all the additional features and so forth. Some of the changes of the game at the world level, I'm concerned that they're not, it's going to diminish some aspects of the game from a uh, a competitive point of view um at the same time i understand that some of them are necessary for uh duty of care to the whoever's playing um i think the standards of rugby in uae in particular are quite high in fact very high um the issue we have is we don't have enough people playing rugby And I think we had more people playing rugby and we had more more games, uh, more more successful clubs or clubs that are sustainable. Uh, We've seen massive changes in the structure, club structure over the last few years. Um, And again, I'm not sure much of that is the benefit of our rugby. But in terms of standards, the administration standards, I would say, are lacking here compared to what we would have at home. At home, uh, it's much more rigorously controlled from the back end in terms of club environment, although we've seen where it can go wrong in the Premier Prem League and UK. I mean, some good recent examples of how it could go wrong. Um, I think two levels in terms of the standards. One is club administration. Here isn't quite up to the standard we would have at home in terms of playing yes but the problem we have is we don't have such a huge uh, talent pool so obviously you have to make the best of what you've got so some of our players uh, certainly the lower level are not as uh competitive and have the expertise uh, the lower levels we have at home but when you get to the prem level here it's i would say yeah, it's up there with the highest level, but not necessarily prem level in the UK, without doubt. I think prem level is another league up in the UK from our prem level here. Again, I think that's only because of the talent pool and the nature of the, the club structure, where uh, you've got far greater training resource resources for training, um, better facilities, etc., etc. So, yeah, I think we're. Fairly- We're faring pretty well for rugby. We're not a rugby nation, but we're getting close. Um, I think everybody who's involved in rugby wants to make it better, which is great stuff.
0: What can people in RAC and near surrounding areas look forward to in the next month or two with RAC Rugby? What's in the pipeline? Uh, Pipeline? Well, I think certainly a very energetic
1: uh social calendar coming up uh we've got our pre-season will start probably halfway through august and as i say whether we get any more games this season i'm not too sure i don't i don't think we'll get a game this season at all next season is going to depend on the next two three months how we do four months we do with recruitment for the men's definitely for Touch rugby, we are going to have most definitely two teams for next season to compete in whatever touch rugby competitions there are. The Raptors, we haven't quite got the numbers in one group and one age group yet to form a a team, but we're getting close. So I think next season we may have have something to play in terms of schools rugby. Um, We'll see. We've got a few th- irons in the pipeline at the minute with the school's rugby um, that we're discussing, where R- RAC Rugby is going to be involved in extracurricular activities for the schools in Rack. um And then beyond that, it's, as I say, recruiting the, the seniors team, getting the seniors team to function as a, a working unit, a sporting
0: unit. OK. Right. If you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, Roastbeam. The UAE is the gateway to the world in terms of travel. Since you moved here, what's been your favourite trip that you've had? My favourite destination?
1: Well, one of my favourites but definitely Sri Lanka. I travel extensively around the region for my work. So Saudi, I like Saudi. What's your favourite film?
0: Apocalypse now. What's your favourite takeaway? Uh, Oh, it's got to be
1: chicken ticker, uh, (laughs) biryani, uh, chicken handy, (laughs) butter chicken. Uh, Favourite thing to do on your day off? Uh, I don't have a day off, but if it's anything to do, watch a good game of rugby or go out in the mountains with a camera. What's been your proudest moment? Proudest moment? I think a couple of years ago when I was voting man of the club. What's your biggest fear?
0: I don't have any fears. I've got no fears. Not a fear of the world. You You must be afraid of wasps. I'm petrified of wasps. Everyone's afraid of wasps. If I was to say have a worry,
1: is whether we can get enough lads together for next season. Oh, that
0: is a big worry. Um, yeah, and the final one, Nev normally does um, boyzone or Westlife, so I'm flipping it. Prince Harry or Prince William? Who? <laughs> Prince Harry or Prince William? Who are you going for? Who are you? Who are you siding They're with? They are not figuring my life. I have no concern. <laughs> right, well we'll go. We'll do Nev's um, Westlife or boyzone. Who? Never heard of. <laughs> Oh, God. I'm trying to think of something else then. Um, The Beatles are the stones. Stones. Every day. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to our guests this week. We'll be back again soon with another special guest. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and please like and share the show. See you later.